Well, welcome to the city. My name is Brandon, one of the pastors here, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet. And uh, if this is your first time here, you should know we've been in the book of Luke. Uh, we've been there for a long, long time. We've been preaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And today is a big day because we start a brand new chapter. We are into chapter 12. We're well over halfway through the book. And, and, and just to kind of catch you up on where we've been, uh, Jesus is, is getting closer and closer and closer to the cross. Uh, hostility is beginning to grow. People are turning on him. Uh, the religious leaders of the day are, are starting to look for, for chances to trap him and, and to get him to say something ultimately that they could kill him for. And they're, they're plotting <clears throat> against him. And also Jesus' teaching is, is kind of progressing. Uh, you can kind of tell week by week as we've gone through things, as, he, as he's preaching these sermons, he's kind of turning up the heat little by little by little, getting, getting more and more pointed in his description of what it means to be a true disciple and, and more and more pointed in his criticism of these religious leaders of the day. And, and if you missed last week, you missed one of the the biggest spankings that he gave these guys, right, in all of Scripture. I mean, he, he kind of turned it up to a 10. You remember Clayton talks about he was passing the woes. Like he was, he was all over these guys, the Pharisees and the, the, the scribes, the Sadducees. He was giving it to them, man. I mean, calling them out. And if we're being honest, he got a little bit ugly. All this hypocrisy that he was calling out in them, I mean... It, it, it made Jesus angry. And Clayton made reference to this last week, but I kind of want to reiterate it again. This is why it's so important for us to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter to, to get a sense just of the full counsel of, of God's word, not picking and choosing. If we're being honest, when you sit down to have a devotional or something, to have a quiet time, I think we're all tempted to kind of search through scripture and kind of find those verses that make us feel good that inspire us, you know, something that's quotable on Facebook or Instagram so, so that everyone knows that, that you're spending time with God, right? But if we're going to be truthful about it, sometimes Scripture can be difficult to read. There, there are parts of God's words that, that, that get a little bit ugly, that are hard to look at. You remember John, you know, in the book of Revelation, he has this, this vision and God kind of gives him a word for these different churches. And if you remember anything about those churches, there's a lot of woes in there and it's, it's heavy, heavy stuff. And John is having this vision and this angel gives him this, the scroll, which is the word of God. And, and he eats it and he says it was sweet to his lips, but bitter on his stomach. Sometimes that's how God's word is. Sometimes it feels nice. But sometimes it's, it's a tough pill to swallow. Sometimes it's like taking medicine. You know, medicines, when, when I grew up, are a little bit different than they are today. And if, if you're older than me, I know you had it worse, right? You know, you're, you're, they're giving you spoonfuls of, I don't know, castor oil and feeding whiskey to babies, well, all that stuff. I'm not talking about that. When I was a kid, I remember medicines weren't flavored. Like, like I remember taking... Um, this chalky liquid that was just antibiotics with no flavoring, right? Just, just almost impossible to drink. Um, but the one I hate the most, then and now, still to this day, Pepto. Don't do it. I can't. I would rather be, you can ask my wife. It's still true to this day. I'm 43 years old. I'm not going to take it. 
I would rather be miserable than try to choke down that thick, nasty stuff, okay? And I know the, the staff told me this this week. I, I'm aware there are tablets now, there are capsules, but that's how ticked off I am at Pepto. I'm not doing it. Like, they should never have done that in the first place. You know, and, and you, you would never drink Pepto if you're thirsty, right? That's not something you're going to drink because you want to. You drink it because you need to. And sometimes... The grosser the medicine is, the stronger it is, the better it works. That's kind of how God's word is, you know, with scripture. Sometimes there is no sugar to help the medicine go down. Sometimes it's just medicine and we, we desperately need it. That's how we grow in our faith. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus is calling people to discipleship. He's asking his audience in chapter 12, what are you going to do with this message of Jesus. Are you in or are you out? He's talking very candidly here about what it means to be a Jesus follower. He, he brings it more and more in, into focus today. He basically gives us a very practical step-by-step. -step. Like if you were to ask men, how do I, how do I become a disciple of Jesus? Like, how do I know if I'm really all in? He's going to tell you today. He's going to give you a one, two, three. He doesn't give you any more practical than this. And so if you have your Bibles today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 12. Not be on the screen as always. Uh, if you have your, your phones out there, the, the city app is the best way to follow along. All the verses are there. It's kind of some fill in the blank stuff, kind of keep you plugged into the message. So, Luke chapter 12. I've asked uh, Dwayne Yunberg, buddy of mine, to uh, come and read the scripture for us. So, would you guys stand as we read God's word? Good morning. Uh, my name is Dwayne Yunberg. I'm married to my gorgeous wife, Darcy. We have three amazing kids, uh, Jackson, Parker, and Mason. Uh, we are part of the Collie City Group, and we volunteer sometimes on Sundays back here in the city kids' rooms, and I'm also on the finance team. Today I'm going to read Luke chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling around, about and stepping on each other. Jesus turned first to his disciples and warned them, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed, and all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you than to you after that. But I'll tell you whom to fear, fear God, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. What is the price of five sparrows, two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. I tell you the truth. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemies the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. Thanks, Dwayne. You guys can have a seat. 
So Jesus here is, is talking there, there's, there's, to a big crowd of people, right? The, the crowds keep growing and growing. In the Greek, you know, obviously it's talking about many thousands of people, but in the Greek lang- language, it's really referring to 10,000 times 10,000 plus thousands. So the point he's trying to make is there, there are tens of thousands of people here, a massive, massive group of people. And remember, there's no sound system, right? People are pressing in, trying to, to hear what Jesus is saying uh, there, there's just so many people, kind of a mob scene, right? They're they're stepping on each other. And you remember Luke is writing all of this for a guy named Theophilus, and he's trying to make the point that yes, there's there's opposition to Jesus growing, but there's also a group that are following, right? They're they're, they're buying into what Jesus is saying. Then there's another group that's just at least still interested. They haven't turned their back on Jesus yet. They're they're, they're curious and they're wanting to hear what Jesus is saying. So he turns to the the disciples and gives them a warning. Now, the disciples he's talking about, probably not just the 12. The the word here translated disciples is a plural form of the noun mathetes, right? Which is referring to a learner or a student. So he's talking not just to the 12, but to a a larger group of of disciples that are that are you know, wanting to be taught by Jesus that still have their, their hearts open. And he's telling them specifically to beware. Remember, we're coming off the conversation that he had with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, where he's calling them out. Then he turns to them and says, says, beware. In other words, give heed to, pay attention to, be on the lookout for, guard yourself against the, the yeast of the Pharisees. Now, we all know what yeast is, right? Some, some, <clears throat> some uh, translations say leaven. So yeast is used to make bread rise. Right, it kind of works its way throughout that dough and helps the, the bread rise. It's, it's it's a good thing to us, but in Jewish law, it was a big no no. Uh, in fact, you know, when it came to Passover, any any kind of breads they had in their house, like it was supposed to all be unleavened bread. Before Passover, they were supposed to to purge their house of of yeast or, or, or this leaven. I mean, it was baked into their doctrine or culture. There's a little pun for you, okay. All throughout scripture, yeast is a bad thing. Paul says it two different times that a little bit of yeast works its way through the the whole lump of dough. It it corrupts. It's used to describe hypocrisy in this case or false doctrine or bad morals or legalism. It's used to describe a a little bit of sin that gets into your life. And and what does it do? It grows and it spreads and it it kind of takes hold of your life. It's always a warning, and that's what Jesus is doing right here in this case, that the yeast of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, we all know that word, right? It comes from the, the Greek word this. Hypocrites. I looked it up. That's how you say it, right? Don't check me on it, but that's how, that's how you say it. This is the, the, the original version of this word from the Greek. And what, what this word, this wasn't even a religious term back in those days. In fact, it was a secular term that literally referred to actors on a stage that would wear a mask and pretend to be something that they weren't. And here Jesus is is kind of making a a little twist on a little play on this word to turn it into a religious term to to describe these these bad actors when it came to, to what it meant to follow God. In the original theatrical definition, an actor attempts to, to play this role, right, to convince people they are somebody they're not. They literally wear masks and, and, and pretend to be something they aren't, and so do these religious deceivers. 
And even still today, the word hypocrite kind of has that religious undertone, right? People that know nothing about church, nothing about the Bible, even use that word to describe us sometimes, don't they? To be a hypocrite. Jesus is saying that hypocrisy can, can kind of permeate a community, can, can spread. He's saying that the, these hypocrites, these religious hypocrites are leading people in the absolute wrong direction. He even said this, there's some, some strong language that the, these Pharisees are making people into fellow sons of hell. You hypocrite. We, we like to say that, like it feels good maybe to call someone that, right? If we see someone being a hypocrite, but no one likes being called a hypocrite. It, it, it stings a little bit. See, these hypocrites, by, by pretending to be something they're not, they're all focused on the outward show. They're giving, you know, no credence to what's in their, their hearts. You remember coming off last week, the, the Pharisees were mad at Jesus over the whole hand-washing thing. Kind of this, this law that they had kind of come up with to, to add to the law of Moses. And Jesus is saying, hey, remember that stuff I said at the end of chapter, chapter 11, all, all the woes I gave to the Pharisees? Yeah, beware of that. One... Uh, Theologian says it this way of the Pharisees in a pompous, self serving display of their quote spirituality, the religious hypocrites of Jesus' day sounded trumpets to call attention to their giving. They prayed on street corners for all to see. They made it obvious they were fasting by having a mournful expression on their faces and neglecting their appearance. They sought out the most important seats at banquets and in the synagogue, and they craved respectful public greetings and the honored title. Rabbi, you see that they, they viewed themselves as spiritually superior to, to everyone else, and they were very condescending and quick to, to judge other people and find faults with them. That's hypocrisy. So, so two different things are happening here in Jesus' warning. The first is the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the, the peer pressure of the Pharisees, and on the other side, for the true, the true Jesus followers. He's warning them about persecution. So you have peer pressure and, and persecution. Peer pressure is kind of a given. And in this case, the peer pressure was to push them into this religious system that means that they weren't true Jesus followers. On the other side, those that really trusted in Jesus and believed what he said, he's kind of warning them like, what's about to happen? They're, they're, they're going to be persecuted. They, they will physically be hurt. See, the, the audience around him doesn't know it yet, but many of them will be beaten and flogged and stoned. At the very least, like economic pressure or being social outcasts everywhere else in, in the world today. I mean, there, there are places right now in our world where this is true. Following Jesus means struggling, means pain. And so he's asking them, he, he's asking us, like, listen, it, it's about to get real. Like, who, who do you fear? What do you care about the most in your life? How much thought do you give about what God sees in you, thinks of you? How much thought do you give about what people think of you? And so in these following verses, verse 2 through 12, Jesus gives us three essential, like non-negotiable obligations Right of what it means to, to follow him, to be a true disciple, to keep us from the eternal separation from God, eternal punishment in hell. 
He's talking about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Again, he gives us kind of a roadmap. Like, what does it look like to follow Jesus? He's like, I'm about to tell you. I'm going to give you a one, two, three. And again, it doesn't get any more practical than this. So I'm going to share these three with you, and we're going to kind of break down each one as we go. The first thing that he makes clear is that we need to fear God. Fear God. Now, in our feel-good, you know, American culture of Christianity here, we're like, wait, wait, he's not talking about being scared of God, right? More of like a, a healthy respect of God. And I think Jesus would say, I'm not sure you fully grasp the, the holiness and the glory and the awe and the majesty of God Almighty. Look back to the, the old covenant days when the priest had to go into the Holy of Holies to make the sacrifice, right? They would tie a rope around his leg and a bell around his waist in case if he dropped dead, they could drag him out. He had to be ceremoniously cleansed for days on end ahead of time. He had to crawl under this curtain into this room that had to be filled with, with smoke from the, the incense so as to kind of shield him from God's glory so that he wouldn't be physically, literally burned up. You ask that guy if he fears God. This is the God we serve. This is the God Jesus is referring here, that, that we should be afraid of him. He, he tells us very, very plainly, fear him. There's no alternative meaning. Be afraid. Like, realize who it is you're serving. And then he gives us a couple of reasons to fear God. Here's the first one. He says, the time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed. What secret's going to be made known? Whatever you say in the dark is going to be heard in the light. Whatever you've whispered is going to be shouted from the rooftops. So he's telling us, listen, God knows everything. And he's going to tell. Everything's going to, to, to be revealed. Like he's watching. He knows what you've done. He knows what you're going to do. I saw this sticker. I thought it was funny. I don't know about other parents in the room, but I love to put some of these around my house. <laughs> right? <laughs> like whatever it is, like you, you might want to think twice, right? Because God's watching. It's true. And it should strike a little bit of uneasiness in us. Pretending, he's saying pretending to be something you're not makes no sense because ultimately God is the only one that matters and you're not fooling him. You can fool other people for a while, but not forever. Because it's all going to be made known. Man, what a, what a scary thought, if we're being honest. We, we, we divide our lives into like private and public, right? We have church, us, and church friends, and then we have the other us, and the, the other friends that we hang out with at work or, or at school or whatever. We, we kind of divide up and compartmentalize our life just to help our own psyche and rationalize our own behavior. But when it comes to God's vision, there is no such division. Like he sees it all. And it all says who we are. He sees it. And one day he's telling if you're not a little bit uncomfortable hearing that, maybe you've forgotten some things that you've done, right? That, that should strike a little bit of fear in us and also let you know who it is we need to ultimately be worried about. He gives us the, the second reason to fear God. I'm not sure this is going to make us feel any better. <laughs> but he says, 
Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't do any more after that. But I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you and send you to hell. Don't you feel, don't you feel better? God has that, that. All man can do to us is kill our body. He's saying you shouldn't be worried about that. You should be worried about God who, who can do far worse. Here's how uh, theologian Daryl uh, Bach says it. <clears throat> A being who knows all our secrets should be feared. Therefore, Jesus declares, we should fear the one who has the power to place us in hell, not someone who can merely kill the body. The latter means only the end of this life, while the former means permanent separation from God. So, so the point Jesus is making here is what it means to be a true disciple is thinking about eternity. Like not, not just worrying about this life or what someone thinks of us or what someone can do to us, but worrying about things that matter about God and how ultimately, you know, he's the final judge. He's the one that says we're in or we're out. He's also saying that that physical death shouldn't be something to, to be worried about. Remember, he's also talking about persecution. He knows that some of the very people he's talking to in this moment will face the worst of the worst kinds of persecution. They will be, be killed for their association with Jesus. I mean, we have no concept of this. He's looking into their eyes and saying, listen, all they can do is kill your body. There's so much more to it than that. Eternal death is so much worse. See, we, we, we don't face that kind of opposition in our faith. Not to say we won't. I mean, we very well could someday face very similar things. But, but in those days, it was a very real thing. Jesus knew what was coming for them. And even, again, even today, in our world, sometimes following Jesus means suffering, could mean even death. How many of us in our comfortable lives are so afraid of what people will think of us that when we go to work, we go to school, out wherever, on the stage of our lives, we put the mask on and we keep certain things hidden? From both groups, we come into church, we wear, we wear a mask, we pretend like we have things together that maybe we don't. We want to hide our faults. We go out into the, into the public and we put on the mask and we hide that faith in us, the Jesus follower in us. We're not even willing to be embarrassed or inconvenienced for our faith in Jesus, much less be physically harmed. Like You see kind of the, the weakness of our faith sometimes. Paul wrote, to be absent on the earth is to be present with the Father. So we don't even fear death itself, like bring it on. You might remember the, the series on HBO called Band of Brothers. And there's a scene in there where, you know, they, they're in this, this, this fight and they have these, these trenches dug. And there's this young soldier that just is terrified, petrified, like he can't. He can't bring himself to get out of this, this trench. And he kind of confesses this to his commanding officer. And the officer says to him, we're all scared. You just haven't accepted the fact that you're already dead. And when you do, then you can be the soldier you're supposed to be. This is the kind of faith that Jesus is telling his disciples that it's going to take. Like you're either all in or you're not. This is about an eternal game here. 
What can man do to me? Why would I fear him? So, so he's asking us today, like, how, how bold is your faith? Like, how strong are your convictions? And for me, man, I, I just, I hope that it's the case of me that all I would care about in life is, is who I am in God's eyes. And I could care less about anyone else. See, this leads to a point that might be a little counterintuitive. You remember Jesus said, fear God, fear God, right? Fear God, he can send you to hell. But then he turns around and says, so don't fear. What's he talking about? Well, well fear here leads to comfort. Fear leads to comfort. This might make you feel a little bit better, but we, we should fear God in his presence, but it also should bring some, some comfort to us because in verse six, he talks about what's the price of five sparrows. But, but God knows them, right? He doesn't forget about them. What he's saying is, is our father is aware of the needs of those who belong to him. So, so yes, we, we should fear this, this big, powerful, awesome God, but also know if we belong to him, he knows you and he can be trusted to care for you. In Proverbs 29, 25, it says, fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. In chapter 14, 26 and 27, it says, in the fear of the Lord, there is security. There is a fountain of life. Someone, this, this powerful God that knows you so well, so intimately, so completely, he can be trusted to, to care for you. He, he's in the details of your life. David wrote that in the Psalms that he delights in every detail of you. Jesus here uses the example of hairs on your head. There's no bald jokes coming, I promise. But Jesus knows the number of hairs on your head. Did you know there, there's approximately 100,000 hairs on the, on the average head? 100,000. Some of us have less than others. I have less than I did last year, I'm aware. But we, we all lose hairs every day. You have some that fall out. Some of those regenerate. Some of them don't. Yesterday, your hair count, it was different than it is today. And the count tomorrow is going to be different than it is today. Guess what? God knows that number. He knows it. That's how concerned he is with, with, with you, how well he knows you. He knows you better than you know you. He knows every minute detail of your life. He knows your thoughts, your motivations, your emotions, your, your hurts your scars, your wounds, your failures, your insecurities. He, he knows your past. He, he's already in your tomorrow. He knows what's coming. And he knows your name. He knows your name and he called you by name. He knows you intimately. And so he can be trusted as you belong to him, as you're his adopted son and daughter, that he's got you. He cares for you. So we should fear him. And if, if we do, there's no reason to fear anyone else. Fear God. Next, confess Jesus. Confess Jesus. I tell you the truth, anyone who acknowledges me publicly on earth, the Son of Man will also acknowledge in the presence of of God, but anyone who denies me will be denied before him. 
Some translations use the word uh, confess, right? Acknowledge, confess means to identify with. He says, don't just fear man. All man can do is kill you. But he drives that home a little, a little further by saying, denying him here. Remember back to this, this thing about persecution or the peer pressure. He's like, yeah, denying him here might, might save your, your tail here. But there, there, again, there's more to worry about than that. There's eternity to think about. He's saying, if you deny me here, you, you might be saved for now. But ultimately, all that matters is, is God's final judgment. So to deny him here means he denies you there. It's all about eternity. It comes down to a choice of allegiance. Are you willing to be affiliated with Jesus? But confessing Jesus isn't just something that you admit verbally, right? Like, I confess Jesus. Like, that, that does nothing for your eternity. Confessing Jesus as Lord is self-denial. It's submitting your life to him, making him Lord over your life, submitting every aspect of you to his control as a slave to his master. That's confessing Jesus. A couple of chapters ago, Jesus said this, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow him. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Jesus, where are we taking these crosses? What's at the end of that road? These, these crosses are heading to a sacrifice. That's what being a follower of Jesus is. Jesus says, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. This is the kind of discipleship he is calling them to. He's calling us to. And you might say, well, why would I want to have that level of devotion for, for some guy that lived 2,000 years ago, right, that I've, I've never met? Uh, um, because he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. As we talk about all the time in, in our City 7, like it all points back to the resurrection. The resurrection is the foundation of our Christian faith. If he didn't rise from the dead, then what are we doing? You know, we're, we're wasting our time. It all hinges on his resurrection. City 7 number 5 is this week. Why do I follow Jesus? I follow Jesus because Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus himself stood before people and said, listen, I came from God. Like, I am God. I, I am the way to God. Like, that's the only way you get to have a relationship with the God of the universe is through me. He claimed all of this about himself, and then they killed him for it. And then he proved that what he said was true by rising from the grave. You know, anyone that predicts their death and resurrection and then pulls it off, probably somebody we should listen to. We don't serve a God that's dead in the grave. We serve a risen Savior who was witnessed by a multitude of people who went to their grave proclaiming they saw him alive. It's not just blind faith. He rose. That's why I should follow Jesus. That's why you should choose to follow Jesus. I don't know, I don't know where you are in your relationship with God and I don't know where you've been. 
but he does. And ultimately, his opinion is all that matters, right? And so we, we all need to, to evaluate ourselves in this moment. If, if, if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, may, may, maybe you've been one that's, that's kind of been wearing the mask like an actor on a stage. You, you pretend to be someone that you're not. You've played the church game. But there's never been a true submitting of your life to his control as a, as a slave to a master. He, you've never made him Lord of your life. You don't have a relationship with God. I think Jesus would say to you today, like, what are you waiting for? The time is short. Ultimately, all that matters is eternity. And there is coming a day, he's referenced it here already, where we will stand before God and give an account for what we did with this very question. Like, what are you doing with Jesus? Are, are you in or are you out? And it's not about reciting some prayer. Remember, it's, it's, a, it's a heart decision, a, a life submitted to him, acknowledging before God, God, I'm a sinner. I can't do life on my own. I know I can't have a relationship with a, a holy God without doing something about my sin problem, right? And that's why Jesus came to, to pay our fine, to, to make himself the sacrifice for our sin. And by, by admitting it, I'm, I'm putting my faith in Jesus, what he did for me on the cross so that I can have a relationship with you. Something awesome happens when you make that decision. You go from death to life. Like scripture calls it being, being born again, like spiritually, like you're a new creation. Your, your, your past is completely gone, like wiped away. And you get to start your life over. Man, how refreshing a thought is that? And ultimately, one day, you get to stand before him. And you get to spend eternity with him in heaven. It's all about a decision that you make today. And we're, I'm asking, if you're making that decision, let us know. As your church family, we want to help you grow in that relationship. You can let us know on the app under the Connect form. Because you're, you're, you're adopted into his family. Like you, you belong, like you belong to him. You are now his. <laughs> he knows your name. And guess where that name now is written, now and forever? In the Lamb's book of life. You're adopted into his family. He, he's, he's got you. I mean, for all of us that are Jesus followers, I mean, if we could just remind ourselves of the, of the gospel every day, like what a difference it would make just in our outlook on life and our attitudes and the way we treat people, to go into every day remembering, as Paul wrote in Romans, like, man, while I was, I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. You say, well, that was 2,000 years ago, right? No, God, there is no time with God. He, he, he died for you in that moment. While you were still in your sin, separated from him, running from him, he didn't wait for you to get your, your act cleaned up and to come to him all, all buttoned up so that you're somehow acceptable to him. In the middle of your rebellion against God, he chose to die for you. He stood up, Jesus did, and says, no, no, he's with me. She's with me as he, as he takes the penalty that was deserved by, by you and me. I mean, what a humbling thought that is. Fear God, confess 
Jesus. Then finally, hear the Spirit. Hear the Spirit. He says, anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Okay, here we go. A controversial verse, right? The unforgivable sin. A lot of debate about these couple of verses here. So what does it mean? You know, when I was a kid, I grew up in a church in, in Leveland, Texas, and, and, you know, we used to sing this chorus um, that went like this. It went, uh, there is nothing, no, nothing. There is nothing that my God can't do, right? And as dumb little kids, like we thought, it sounded kind of like they were saying, there's nothing God can do, right? So we would sing, there's nothing my God can do, and we'd giggle like little idiots or whatever. And then I, I read this verse, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've done it, you know? Like, I've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I, I'm, I, it's, I'm, it's over for me. That's not exactly what he's talking about here. So, so what is he saying? Well, some think he's referring to the blasphemy that, that happened in the last chapter when they attributed uh, Jesus' miracles to, to Satan himself, right? Some think it's, it's apostasy, just, just refusing to acknowledge Jesus and who he is. Some think it's rejecting the, the apostles' preaching, which is inspired and led by the Holy Spirit. But most theologians agree it's defined as this, as the persistent and unrepentant Resistance against the work of the Holy Spirit and his message concerning Jesus. It's a, it's a hardened heart. Jesus says that this won't be forgiven. Anybody that, that just persists in the hardening of his heart against God, against the work of the Holy Spirit, against, uh, you know, believing Jesus Christ is the Messiah, is Savior, he, he is outside of the, the reach of God's uh, forgiveness. So in case you're wondering if, if you've committed the sin, let me set your mind at ease here. This is how Wayne Gruden says it. The fact that the unpardonable sin involves such extreme hardness of the heart and lack of repentance indicates that those who fear they have committed it yet still have sorrow for sin in their heart and, and a desire to seek after God certainly do not fall in the category of those who are guilty of it. So, so you can all breathe a sigh of relief today, right? You, you haven't committed it. So if, if, if to fear God means to choose Jesus, then to reject him is to reject the spirit that testifies to who Jesus is. There's a condition of the heart here, a continued rejection of him. That, that's the Holy Spirit's job. For each and every person that's ever said yes to Jesus, your, your eyes were spiritually opened to the truth by the Holy Spirit working in your life. You did, you, you confessed Jesus because you heard and believed the truth about him through the Holy Spirit and through Scripture. And if you die rejecting that, that word, that truth, there's no coming back from that. So he's saying, like, listen, listen to the, the truth of the Holy Spirit about Jesus. And in your life, he, he finishes up in verse 11 and 12. Again, he knows they're, they're going to face trials, executions for their faith in Jesus. He tells them when you're brought into, into trial, like don't, don't worry about how to defend yourself. You, just, just remember, you're, you're gonna have the, the, the spirit of God with you. He, he will tell you what to say. He's not being allegorical or metaphorical or hyperbolic. He, he's saying, listen, this is going to happen to you. But you don't have to worry that you're gonna have to go through all this alone. I'm gonna send you a helper, 
the Holy Spirit to be with you, to give you answers to their question, to, to, to comfort you, to strengthen you, to teach you. He's gonna be right there with them, even the most difficult circumstances they could ever imagine. Yes, even unto their death. Again, what a comforting thought for us. That, that if, you, if you let him, the, the Holy Spirit will be with you now and forever. No matter what you go through, his, his presence in your life will empower you, will, will help keep your faith alive, help you persevere no matter how difficult things get. Some of you have, have experienced this. He's with you. He'll teach you, he'll comfort you, he'll show you the way. So here's our one, two, three. Fear God, fear God. Like don't be a pretender, like let, let's get real. He, he knows us, he knows who we are. He knows what we've done. Why would we care about anything else in our life, anyone else in our life or what they think of us, only what he thinks of us based on the condition of our heart is what, is what matters. Like, what do you care about the most? Whose voice do you honor and fear the most? God said to Isaiah in, in chapter 66 that, you know, his hands had made the, the heaven and the earth, everything in it, and that, that he, he's a, he blesses those who have humble and contrite hearts and who, listen, who tremble at his word. Whose word makes you tremble? Do you tremble at his word or do you at times value other people's words, thoughts, ideas over, over, over God's? And at the same time, we, we can be comforted because he knows us, right? He knows us better than we know ourselves and he will take care of us because we are his. We, number two, confess Jesus, identify with him. If he is who he says he is, then there's only one choice. And that is total devotion to him. Make him Lord of your life. Not, not just blurting out some words, but complete surrender. Take up your cross daily. Follow him no matter where it takes you. And then finally, hear the Spirit. Hear the Spirit. Learn to hear his voice and then do what it says. If you're a follower of Jesus, you, you have his Holy Spirit in you right now. And when your feet are to the fire, he'll give you the words. He, he won't leave you. If, if he's going to be with you in times like that, you think he's not with you every single day in your normal day-to-day -day life and activities? You, you think he's not continuously speaking to you? Because I can promise you that he's talking. Are you hearing him? Have you, have you learned what it means to, to, to discern the voice of God in your life? because it's a, it's a practiced thing. It's, it's a muscle that has to be developed. Learn to, to walk in the spirit. This, this one, two, three, it, it adds up to follow, follow me, follow Jesus. Anything less is hypocrisy. Be the, the real deal, take off the mask. That might mean for us, you know, that, that yeast in your life, that secret sin that, that you protect and keep hidden, that, that's grown and taken over different parts of your life and that's eating you up from the inside out. Maybe it's time to, to drag that thing out into the light. 
This is why community is so important in a body of believers. This is why we, we push city groups so much. You know, the, the word tells us that if we confess our sins to each other, we might be healed. I'm not talking about forgiveness from God here. It's talking about healing. That, that means sharing our burdens and struggles with other people so that we can bear those with one another. This is what the Christian life is supposed to look like. Not, not putting the mask on and pretending that we're somebody that we're not, like being real with people, being vulnerable with people. And ultimately, remember, he, you're, his, you're his kid. He, he knows you by name. Maybe, maybe for you, all this is, you know, you've, you've just, feels like you, it feels like your faith has just kind of crumbled. Maybe you've been through some difficult things. Maybe you've had questions about your faith and why God is allowing certain things or why he feels so distant from you. Maybe this is telling you to, to take a step forward, to dive into your, your relationship with God. Maybe you've been in kind of a rut or you've kind of fallen away, whatever it is. Maybe he's asking you to, to kind of renew that fire for him. It, there's more at stake than just this life. And picture this with me for just a minute. <laughs> he knows your name. And that name is, is written in his, his book now and forever. And there will come a day when you stand before him. And when you do on that, that final day, the final judgment before God, you don't have to worry about hearing, depart from me. I don't know you. No, 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 no. You, you're, his, you're his adopted son and daughter. He knows your name. And you get to hear on that day in front of the multitudes, of heaven, around the throne. Well done, good and faithful servant. And Jesus will say, he'll call you by name. Hey, he, he's with me. She's with me. And there will be no sweeter sound than that. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? God, we, we thank you that you know us and that you care for us and that you're there for us. And I pray God for all of us that, that we would just be open to you as we, we prayed earlier, that you would search our hearts. God, point out anything in us that, that's not in line with you, that doesn't honor you, something that, that's kind of out of bounds or out of alignment. God, we wanna be retuned today. We, we wanna go with you. What, what are you. what are you leading us to do? What kind of steps are you leading us to take? God, we don't want to care what anyone else thinks of us. We, we want to, to care what you think of us. We want to be faithful servants, followers of Jesus. No games, no hypocrisy, no pretending. The real deal. So do that in us, God. Move in our hearts. Show, show us what our next step is. And ultimately, God, help us to, to look forward to the day that we hear you call our name. And we get to see you face to face. And no more tears and no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more failure, no more insecurity, no more doubt. God, we, we get to see you face to face. 
in the presence of our Savior and know that we're, we're yours forever. God, that's, what's, that's what our life purpose is. We surrender to you.